Hello and welcome everyone to the Almost Awesome Podcast, the only podcast that is legally obligated to inform you that it sometimes sucks. I am your host, Tanner Rain Hirsch, and today we're going to be talking about Quentin Tarantino's penultimate film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, this movie is set in 1969 Hollywood and follows two fictional men, TV actor Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his stuntman and personal driver, Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt. I say fictional because obviously these two never existed, but they are set in the real-life backdrop of Hollywood, but it is set in an alternate history where these two existed in shows like FBI and Lancer. The movie is also set around the time of the Manson family murders of Sharon Tate and her friends, Tate being the next-door neighbor, uh, to Rick. Now both Rick and Cliff are struggling to find work, with Rick having to quit starring in a role of his own show in a failed attempt to break into movies, and is now forced to play a bad guy in TV guest appearances, fearing that his best years are behind him. And Cliff, being all but blacklisted for from doing work due to major scandals in the past. Now, to be perfectly honest, I'm not the biggest fan of Quentin Tarantino. He has made some great films in the past, but he also has put actors' lives in dangers for his scenes, and no matter how good a movie is, that's never necessary. Now, when it comes to his films, my brother and I agree that we like every other film he has done since Kill Bill. Kill Bill Volume 2 was anticlimactic, Inglorious Bastards was unfocused, and The Hateful Eight is too long and pretentious. But Django Unchained is awesome, and this movie repeats this pattern, and I think it's actually great. Now, something that's amazing about this film is the actual setting itself. The atmosphere of this movie feels so alive and vibrant that the setting almost becomes a character itself, which, since it's Hollywood, we should expect nothing less. Tarantino is a cinephile who is very much in love with the golden age of Hollywood. To a fault, I would say, but it's that kind of passion and attention to detail that really suck you into the setting. This is most apparent in when the movie cuts to scenes from projects Rick Dalton has done, like his black-and-white western show, which was not only shot and edited to feel like an episode of something like The Rifleman, or, more impressively, superimposing Leo DiCaprio in a movie, in the movie The Great Escape, in place of Steve McQueen. Not that he replaced Steve McQueen. They played it off as some kind of uh, tent where he was going for the role. They get the graininess and the audio just right to where you would be forgiven if you had thought they had just recreated the scene with new actors. Now, I want to quickly talk about all the characters before I get sidetracked. Now, all of the characters in this movie, from Rick and Cliff down to the cameo appearances from other big-name actors, are great. 
Not one performance in this movie is wasted, and each of the characters serves a purpose to the larger narrative. It does become a game of spotting the frequent Tarantino collaborator, but the dialogue and the performances are so enthralling that it feels like Pulp Fiction, where the characters could talk about anything and it doesn't really matter, because we all like these characters so much that we want to see what happens next. The movie is lucky that it has this going for it, because not a lot happens in this movie. It's a lot of low-stakes drama that is loosely connected to each other. And there are long, boring stretches of this movie where we are just following either Brad Pitt driving around L.A. or Margot Robbie, who plays Sharon Tate, is walking around. Like, a lot. And, of course, there are the weird shots of women's feet, which... Tarantino, we, we get it, you have a foot fetish, but some of us don't, so could you stop it? But these movies and these moments are not without purpose because we are supposed to be following these characters, these Hollywood personas in the monotonous parts of their days. So, Leo channels the self-absorbed nature and the comedic timing that he got from Jordan Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street. It makes Rick a great actor, but also has a lot of insecurities about his own talent. And you can see this when he actually talks to people, where he has a bit of a stutter that's kind of understated by the performance, and he tries desperately to hide the fact that he is having emotional breakdowns almost every scene, which actually makes him a very relatable and endearing character. So, it makes it fun and interesting to watch his struggles. Now, Cliff, on the other hand, is an odd character. While he's played very charming and compassionate, the only way that I think Brad Pitt can play him, one of the reasons he doesn't get much work is that, and we're going to be getting into a little bit of spoilers here, so fair warning. But the reason that he doesn't get much work is that it's believed that he possibly killed his wife and got away with it. So we're shown this in a flashback where his wife is yelling and belittling him on a boat while Cliff just has this blank expression on his face while holding a spear gun in his lap. We don't actually see him kill his wife. And so that's left up to debate whether or not he did it, but... It's kind of questionable to leave that ambiguous when you're supposed to like this guy. And it's one of the only things that actually doesn't come back into play later. Another one thing in this movie that was kind of weird is when Cliff picks a fight with Bruce Lee on the set of Green Hornet after Bruce brags about being able to take, a, take out Muhammad Ali in a fight who was then known as Cassius Clay. Which itself is a weird scene, because as far as I know, Bruce Lee was not very egotistical, so it's odd that he would be picking fights with stuntmen on set. He's also portrayed as an ineffectual fighter, as he is easily beaten by Cliff, which, if you've ever seen footage of Bruce Lee fight for real, you would know to avoid fighting him like you would a via avoid 
tackling a radioactive bear. But this was one example of showing Cliff as a very adept fighter, which still comes into play later, so I get it, but eh, I'm a Bruce Lee fan, and eh, that's the most unbelievable part of this movie. But it's just one of many examples of how this movie plays fast and loose with actual history, which we'll get to. Now, the whole movie, as I mentioned before, not a lot happens in the near three hours you are watching it, and you're left to wonder, in some parts, is this movie going anywhere? Because things are just sort of happening, and with great character moments to keep you entertained, but the reason for this is because the movie is building anticipation. For this movie features both Sharon Tate and Charlie Manson seeing each other for the first time. Now, I didn't really know much about the Manson family murders or why they happened in the first place, but that is what we are unfortunately waiting for. Through historical context, we have a little sense of melancholy as we know Sharon Tate and her friends are doomed to be murdered by the followers of Manson. We know it's coming and we can feel it and that's why this movie he gets away with not a lot happening because it's building that suspense. Now, going to get into a lot of spoilers here, so this is your last warning. So I will say that this movie, if you don't want to get into the spoilers and you're just wondering if you want to see it, I definitely recommend going to see it. It's a lot of fun. There's, even though I can point out weird inconsistencies, the movie is still pretty great and holds up well, and it's one of the most linear movies that Quentin Tarantino's done. So that was kind of enjoyable to see. But it will just make you love this time period as much as Twentin... As... I almost said Twentin. <laughs> it, it will make you love this time period as much as Quentin does. And even though you might feel like, where is this going a little bit? It's still worth the ride. So definitely go recommend seeing it. It's great. But now we're going to get into the ending. So where I mentioned that this was an alternate history means something about the Manson family members who come to kill Sharon Tate and her friends. They're actually, well, let me start over. They actually make a stop at Rick Dalton's house where he and Cliff are at, having already interacted with both of them and justifying that they need to kill them because Manson was crazy and wanted to start a race war and kill celebrities because he felt like he deserved it. I don't really know what his deal was, but that's what they were doing. But because they decide to go run into Cliff and Rick instead, who, if I remind you, didn't exist. Cliff, while being accidentally high on acid at the time, is able to take out and kill a couple of the Manson family members, with even Rick finishing off one of them in self-defense. The movie frames this as a way of saying that because of the existence of these two, 
the followers never make it to Roman and Sharon's house. Therefore, they are not murdered. And then Rick finally meets Sharon, and we get a, we get a hope that Rick's career will finally go the way he wants. But the truly intriguing thing right here is the fact that a pregnant Sharon is alive as well as her friends. So, what does this kind of ending mean? Why change the events of history as we know it? Well, this isn't the first Tarantino movie where the character Brad Pitt plays alters history. And in Glorious Bastards, Hitler and most of the German high command are killed by the end of it. And I can understand that someone might look at this movie and think that it might be disrespectful to the victims not to portray the events as they happened. But the way I see it, since we know they are doomed, and the movie keeps building the anticipation for it, we don't want to see them die. So when the movie actually does what we secretly hope it does by sparing the victims... It actually doesn't glorify their deaths. I believe that it actually takes away the notoriety that the Manson family had been given over the victims. And they get a sort of poetic justice, even though that the killers and Manson himself were later arrested for the crimes they committed. It shows that what could have been, and that Sharon Tate and all the other victims of the Manson family are not just victims, but people who had lives. The magic of Hollywood is thinking of what could be. Even in a movie that shows you the behind-the-scenes lives and dramas of these Hollywood starlets, we can still imagine a world that is a little bit better. And in that way, we can bring back those who were lost and give them a little bit of immortality. And maybe even a little bit of a happier ending. Now, if that happier ending included showing Roman Polanski going to jail for drugging and raping a 13-year-old girl, that would have been great. But apparently that would have been too ridiculous for this alternate history. But I digress. This movie is a lot of fun and is a big nostalgia trip. And... If you're a big movie buff like me, you'll appreciate all the little details that go into recreating some historical moments in cinema. <laughs> I apologize. I was holding that sneeze in. So, like I said before, I'm not the biggest fan of Quentin Tarantino. I think he's a weird guy. He's a we he's got weird fetishes about him and I think he puts people's lives in danger necessary unnecessarily. But I still enjoyed this movie. And if and I but I totally understand people who don't want to see it out of principle that Tarantino is a jerk. I get it. And I would recommend if you have anything against Quentin Tarantino, you know, you don't have to see the movie. I mean, you don't need my permission, but, like, I don't want you to think I would 
think less of you for not seeing it. So, that's going to be my review for today. Um, this is uh, really late in posting this. I know I went through the whole weekend. I actually saw this movie on, and I can't believe I almost forgot to mention this. I saw it on 35mm film, which is apparently the way that Quentin Tarantino wants you to see this film. And the great thing about film is that unlike digital filming, you can't get the same type of scope you can. So there's just a little bit of that detail. And since this is a film that takes place in the 1960s, where things would be filmed on actual film, it brings a little bit more of that authenticity to it. And also, there were parts in this film where it looks like the actual film reel is like coming off the projector a little bit and like getting very spotty. But I think that's a actual effect in the film and less the actual film reel. So it adds a little bit to the experience. So which I thought was very interesting. So if you have a chance to go see it on 35 millimeter film, I would definitely recommend seeing it because that's kind of a special thing. So that's going to be it for today. Uh, like I said, I'm doing this kind of late. I'm doing this on late on Sunday. Uh, I haven't been, I've been kind of putting this off a little bit. I wanted to see it again, but uh, I just had to relax this weekend. But uh, I'm going to put this out there, and I'm also working on some new content that I'm going to be doing very soon. And I'm also going to be doing more uh, stand-up recently. So look out for that. Look out for that on my Facebook and Instagram. And uh, hope you all will get interested in that. So a lot of cool stuff happening. So again, (laughs) that's going to be it for today. And I'll see you guys next time.